This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Everybody and welcome to another edition of Tunnel Vision, a show brought to you by USCFootball.com. I'm your host, Keely Orr, joined by Ryan Abraham and Shotgun Spratling. We have a fun show for you guys today. We're talking about spring ball. USC is six practices in. We've seen about half of those, so we'll give you our thoughts and our takes. Uh, we'll talk about USC's situational scrimmage on Saturday, what we took away from that. Uh, we'll give some injury updates as well. We'll talk about USC's offensive line. I've dubbed it Left Tackle Watch on Instant Analysis. That's what Chuck and I are breaking down this spring. So we'll give our thoughts about that. As always, you can call us 512-4-TUNNEL. Our intern Micah is standing by to talk to y'all. We love hearing from you guys. You can also tweet at us, hashtag TunnelVision. I'll put your tweet up on the screen. I believe we will be able to put your questions, your comments, and your concerns up on of the screen as well so be sure to do that shotgun and i read all your comments and we love hearing from y'all um i believe we are live on all three platforms so it's looking like periscope does still exist sort <laughs> I of we're I, like, I don't fully get it we're on twitter live but it's still using the periscope address so i, I know i got it up we can monitor it and uh you i'll try to put your questions up with it. the uh on the screen so for for keely to you so yeah got some multiple you know, give keely had like three or four monitors now i got two so it'll be good yeah so we can we can split it up but if it goes wrong just blame ryan at inside troy to him all your complaints yeah. uh, yes but i believe we are on youtube facebook and some modified version of periscope not sure but glad having y'all anyway yeah uh so fun fun we'll we'll bring back three platforms but like i said guys uh six practices in for usc shocking to know you and i were watching uh saturday's situational scrimmage a lot of third down but i guess overall guys uh where what are your thoughts on six practices in for usc i mean the first thing that stands out is how well the defense has played compared to the offense i think the defense is definitely ahead of the offense and I think there's some reasons for that, and we'll get into that. But, you know, the, the initial impression is just the defense is flying around all over the place. They've got a ton of depth there with, with some, some of those new guys that have come in. A lot of the newcomers have been on, on the defensive side of the ball, and, you know, they're making a lot of plays right now. Ryan? Yeah, so I didn't go uh, to see Saturdays. I was there on Tuesday and uh, some of the other practices. And I am impressed with the way the defense is progressing. It's sort of like a microcosm of what we saw last year in 2020 where – Things start off a little shaky and it's getting better. I, I just feel like Todd Orlando is able to to install that the kind of culture he wants on the defensive side of the ball. He wants it to be physical. We've had multiple practices in full pads, and it seems to be the defense is taking advantage of that. 
And it's becoming much more of a physical unit. And there's been some injuries. You know, they had to move some guys around in the secondary with Max Williams going down. But, you know, they I think they found a guy they like on the defensive line and Jay Toya. They just, it seems like they're putting some of the pieces in place and kind of building it up in this like in the offseason they didn't get to last year. So offensively, yeah, I think they're still, you know, they're still trying to figure some things out on the offensive line. We'll probably start seeing them moving some of those pieces around this week. Uh, on the offensive line, so that'll be a little bit interesting. But love the way the defense is progressing, and we'll see. The offense, I think, has to get there, too. Yeah, that's the thing. We got clarification from Clay Hilton on Saturday that they will start mixing and matching on the offensive line. I know we kind of read into it because that's what Graham Harrell said at the start of spring camp, and then we're like, wait, we've only seen Cortland Ford at first-team left tackle, but apparently they will uh, mix and match. But, Shaka, I know you've had a keen eye on the left tackle situation. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, th- those guys are both young guys, uh, Cortland Ford and Casey Collier, and they've got some progressing to do, you know, before they're going to be a guy that you feel very confident in being at that left tackle spot and protecting the backside of Keenan Slovis. Now, a lot of potential. You know, I think both of those guys have the, op- you know, have a-, a great opportunity. By the time they finish their career at USC, I think that they could both be NFL draft picks and can be solid players for USC. But there's still some work to be done right now, you know, and I think part of it is also finding the communication. Now they're getting in there for the first times and getting, you know, uh, Cortland Ford's been getting those first team reps. You know, you're going to see those first team defenders and you're seeing different blitzes and different looks. And, you know, it's not necessarily that we've seen the offensive line because there was a question from uh, Trojan Man said, from your point of view, is the D line that dominant or does the offensive line still struggle? It's not necessarily that we're seeing the defensive linemen just manhandling the offensive linemen, throwing them out of the way all the time. But there's been a, a lot of free free runners coming on blitzes and different things like that, which tells you the communication issues uh, or communication has to get better there. And that's going to be something that, that is slow to come along, I think, when you have a new offensive line coach. And also when you're putting a, a new guy in there at left tackle. And that second group, there's a lot of new, new faces in there. So I think that's part of it right now. Mm-hmm. I thought it was notable that Clay Hilton mentioned that not only are they going to take all 15 spring practices, but they'll likely go into uh, fall camp as well. So that battle seems like something that... Lot to watch for a good bit, um, Ryan. Any thoughts on the on the offensive line situation? Yeah, you know, I I think for people talk to people, I think they do like Jonah Monheim. I think they feel pretty good. He's backing up uh, Jalen McKenzie at, at right tackle. We'll probably see some Justin Dietrich, you know, playing guard, and you know they want to find their best five. I I believe they feel Cortland Ford is that guy. He was there the the first two weeks, but the other other dudes are going to get opportunities. But I think that first offensive line we saw on day one of spring ball is probably what we're going to see, uh, you know, heading into the fall. But, you know, leading into the spring showcase that's going to happen this Saturday, do we get a big mix-up? I, I don't know. I'm, not, I'm curious to see what they do on Tuesday and if it's going to look different than what we saw at the beginning of spring. And then especially on Saturday, what, I mean, what if they try a couple different lineups on Tuesday? We don't get to watch Thursday. Are they going to use that on Saturday in the spring scrimmage? Is it going to be some kind of hybrid? I don't know. It's going to be interesting what they do. Yeah, I'm curious to see what they do, but I think there is still plenty of time and potential for movement. I don't think that it's just set in stone that, okay, Cortland Ford's going to be the guy. I think they're going to mix some guys up. And again, we'll see how much they do that and you know how they kind of try to attack that. But with the fact that you have a new offensive line coach coming in, maybe they decided, okay, we're going to give you two weeks and say, you know, you guys can impress, try to impress the coach. Get your and for the coach, you know, for Clay McGuire saying, Hey, 
Here's a look at the guys that we think are the best five. Here's a baseline. Now do what you want to do as far as mixing and matching and seeing where you think skill sets fit best and then see if you think that anyone is better than this group of five, you know, if anyone can jump into that mix. And also I think that there's room for big growth still. You know, I, I, I talked about this uh, on a podcast for 24-7 Sports, but that you know, they didn't have that spring camp last year. They didn't have, they barely had the fall camp. They were preparing for practice. So you're looking at Cortland Ford, you're looking at Casey Collier, you're looking at Jonah Monheim. Also the three other young guys, you know, can Andrew Milik or Caden Steffen or Andres DeWork, can those guys take big jumps? Is there someone, one of those older guys, do you see a Frank Martin or someone, does someone take a big jump now that they're getting a different type of coaching just from a different, you know, hearing a different voice and someone who understands the, the air raid better, does someone take a big jump during this camp and and force them themselves in the lineup. I think that's why you're going to see the competition go all the way to the fall because I think that there, there's nothing solidified right now because there, there hasn't been just dominance. If that you know those four guys that have been on that line from last year, if they were dominant last year, then you would go okay. Even though there's a new coach, it's probably going to be those four guys. Now you feel like that it's likely, but I think there's still room for for that big jump, the big growth, and someone to jump in that that mix as well. Mm -hmm. And Clay Helton said as much. He was like, "We still have guys that I think will have a, a growth period, but we need to give them that opportunity." So I think that's why you'll see it go into fall camp. Ryan wants me to put up something on the screen. Well, um, I did before. I had a comment up there. Just oh, like, sorry. You know, that's okay. <laughs> you didn't tell me what was on there. Just, uh, if I don't, just put it up. <laughs> Linda on Facebook says, "I've been out of town, but we'll be back for Saturday's spring game. Do you know how many fans will get in? Fight on." I believe no fans, right, Ryan? As, as of now, they've heard no fans. The fact that it's a week away or less than a week away, I would think there's not going to be. We thought there was a chance, you know, in the beginning of spring ball, especially when they let the media in being an outdoor event in the Coliseum. It's big, but haven't heard. I mean, I don't know if you guys heard anything different, but I have not heard that. The fact that we're this close, I you know, unless they do like a family thing late, I doubt there's going to be fans allowed. Yeah. And, and speaking of the spring game, this is something that Shaka and I were talking about yesterday. How do you evaluate this spring camp, given that the spring game is so early on? Because it sounds like USC will start to kind of transition after the spring game and give uh, more teaching time to the younger guys. So how do you evaluate a game like the spring game, quote unquote, showcase, uh, if it's so early in camp? It's weird, you know, having it that early. But we talked about everything before. It'll be good, though. I think any kind of scrimmage situation you have, uh, in the spring is is a positive, but what you know we talked about well, like what Todd, Todd Orlando said. I really feel like spring is a lot of opportunities for young guys, and there's a ton of young players on this roster. Mm -hmm. That freshman class is absolutely huge now because basically 2020 and 2021 are mashed together. They got the new transfers, uh, like 10 new early enrollees or whatever it is. So there's a bunch of new guys on the roster or freshman guys, and if they get a lot of experience playing on the offensive line, where you know defense, wherever. I feel that's going to be a good thing. But I, we would like to see, a, you know, ones versus ones, really competitive situation. And if it happens in the middle of spring, that's cool. And then they kind of – I don't know if they're going to taper off the physicality, but I think they're going to taper off some of the veteran play and let some of the younger guys play, which I'm fine with. But as long as they're doing, like, the full pads that they've been doing and hitting and doing that Trojan drill, the, the modified Oklahoma drill, I think all of that's a positive, something that you can build uh, for the offseason, you know, over the summer and then into the fall. T tell me which player on this team doesn't still need to improve. Why do, why do people need to get less reps that are starters? No, you're, I mean, that's true. I mean, if Talanoa Hufanga came back, Amon Ross St. Brown came back, or Elijah Vera Tucker, those are three guys that say they've proven themselves and that they'll still be trying to improve and stuff, but then maybe we give uh, some more reps to someone else. 
But otherwise, like everyone on this team needs to be taking jumps in their game. So I don't I don't understand why you're taking less snaps for starters. I know there's a fear for injuries, and they've had some a couple of injuries so far. But I asked Clay Helton about it. I said, and he said that you know our numbers are really good, so they don't feel like they're going to have to pull back at all during the spring camp. So if that indeed becomes the case where they want to get younger guys opportunities, I I have an issue with that because they're not good enough to do that. Maybe at Alabama you can do that. You're not good enough at USC to do that right now. I, I think that's a fair point. If you're going to shut things down and say, okay, all the stars aren't playing, that's one thing. But I feel like if they're just going to mix in some of the younger guys a little more, that well, I, I feel issue. like we're seeing that. Like Drake London, we barely saw him during the, the team periods on, on Saturday. We didn't see him, though. Yeah, but you're taking away his reps to give them to who? I mean, you're giving walk-ons reps on the second group. So get him in there, and he needs more reps at, at outside wide receiver. He doesn't need to be taking some plays off. Now, maybe he was banged up a little bit. We don't know yeah. the extent there. But if, if that's kind of the model, then I don't, I, don't, I don't see why you're doing that. It doesn't seem like that's a good idea with where this group is at as a whole and the talent on this group. The potential is there. But you need to be pushing towards that potential rather than saying, okay, you know, we, let's get some veteran rest for you before this you know, three-month layoff before we come back for fall camp. Yeah, it's hard to tell. We're not talking to Clay Helton after practices, so we don't really know, oh, was Drake London banged up or are you just like – you know, giving out, you just resting him like LeBron in a back to back or something like that. So, yeah, if they're doing too much of that, I agree, Shotgun. Uh, but it's a big, this is a bigger spring roster than we've seen, I yep. believe. So, there's, they definitely want to get some more reps in for some of the younger guys. But, you know, fair point. You know, it's not like the veterans are so veteran that they don't need to play spring at all either. I just think we should wait until we see it happen before we get yeah. feisty sure. about it. Uh, they <laughs> could all, feisty another thing that they could potentially do is do the split reps. You know, that we've seen that in the past with, with Clay Helton where they've done basically ones versus ones on one end and twos versus twos on the other end so that everyone's getting more opportunities. There's nothing that says you can't get more reps, you know, and split things up. Uh, you know, a lot of times you, you don't do that because there's a certain amount of plays that you want to put on a player during practice. But if, if the goal is to then pull away some of the starter reps and get younger guys opportunities, that's a different way you could do it, you know, to get more opportunities so they're not just standing on the sideline the entire time. Mm -hmm. I'm actually going to jump to a caller that we have. Nice. Uh, and then we can jump back into our discussion. I believe it is Larry from Vancouver. Hello, you're live on Tunnel Vision. Hi. Hi. Hey, Larry. Can you hear me? Yes. What's your question for the team? Hi. I got a shotgun question. Two questions, <laughs> not for shotgun. Uh, one is, uh, what happens when Slovis goes down if uh, because he has the last couple of years? And secondly, what's up with uh, Drake Jackson is his major contribution to the team going to be recruiting uh, Corey Foreman. Wow. That's spice. I know. <laughs> Thanks, Larry. Um, to start with the, the quarterback question, it's an open competition right now. And, uh, you, you know, we've seen some positive and negatives from both Mo Hassan and the freshman quarterback so far. Um, I think Mo Hassan is, has kind of pushed himself into that conversation where initially we thought, okay, these two freshmen are coming in. They're, one of them is going to be the backup. I think Mohosana has shown he's strong enough to, to be in that conversation as well. Now, he did throw a pick six to Jaden Williams, but it was right after a very nice ball. So, you know, he, you know, all the quarterbacks, 
none of the quarterbacks really stood out on Saturday in particular. So I, I think that that it's going to be an open competition, and that competition is going to go all the way to the NFL probably. I don't I don't know why they would name a backup unless you're trying to get you know one of those young guys some extra reps in the fall. But I think it's going to be a little while before that happens. Mm-hmm. And then as far as Drake Jackson, don't know if you addressed that. Did you shotgun? I did not. No. Uh, he ha- was out with the safe- health and safety protocol guys, so he just now got back to uh, the through the acclimatization period. Yeah. So, but I think uh, he's made more contributions to the team than just recruiting yes. Corey for him. <laughs> yes. So, but he's a guy that, that can still take a big jump in his game, and that's yep. that's one we're looking for. I mean, we've seen a lot of guys on the defensive line so far. I think that's the position group that's probably stood out the most to me so far. And there's been different guys. It seems like every practice that are catching your eye. Mm-hmm. Drake Jackson hasn't been one of those guys yet because he hasn't been out there except for Saturday's practice. Yep. So if everyone else in that group, and there's a lot of three-star guys in there, there's some Juco transfers in there that you are catching your eye and saying, oh, these guys are making some plays. I, you know, wait till Drake Jackson takes that jump in the same uh, kind of vein. I think, you know, I'm looking forward to him making a big jump in his game before the beginning of next season. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what I want to uh, talk about next, Shotgun, is the defensive line seems just intriguing in the sense that you actually have a lot of guys to rotate. What have you seen so far from that group? I mean, they're flying all over the place. I mean, Jay Toya, um, the the mountain of a man, as Clay Hilton <laughs> called him, with a giant head that is the you know the head of an elephant. Which I don't know if that's a positive or a negative. I was like, if my coach said that about me, I think I'd be a little mad about that. If yeah. I was a parent and found out that, I'd be texting him like, Coach, what are you talking about? What is going on? But but Clay Hilton loves his uh, zoological analogies. He, he uses those often. Zoological. Um, but you know, Jay Toya has stood out. He, he's popped a couple practices. You know, he is. He is difficult, as Clay Helton said, he is difficult to block one-on-one. You're going to have to get a double team, and that's what you're really hoping for out of that nose tackle when you have a really big dude in there. It's like, did you force, okay, other people are going to have one-on-ones because he's going to have to be double teamed every time. And, you know, he's only a freshman, and he's making that kind of impact early. But you see, I think Jacob Lichtenstein, you know, has shown some very positive things. Now, he's been uh, dealing with a little bit of a, you know, stiff back, some back spasms as well. But, you know, when he's been in there, he's been in the backfield making plays. Hunter Eccles coming off the edge has been getting some pressure. We'll see if those are sacks in real games because the defensive side is yelling. Anytime anyone's in the backfield, you hear Vic Soto <laughs> or, you know, other defensive <laughs> sack, sack, sack. <laughs> it's like he's, he's still four feet away. Like he's yeah. also still got to get there and Shock touch him. It's really <laughs> touchy about that during practice. <laughs> I'm trying to give the quarterbacks a little bit of a you know advantage there. You are you as are. a as a receiver. You know, let them throw the ball. Yeah. Sure. See, see him go make a play. Sure. But no, I, I think that there's been several defensive linemen that have, that have popped out and and have stood out. Dejon Benton's a guy to keep an eye on as well. Mm-hmm. He's a guy that kind of got lost in the mix last year after flashing a little bit as a freshman, as a true freshman. He's a guy that I think could, could make an impact as well. I, I think you're seeing how deep that position group is, that we're seeing different people flash each day. Yeah. And, you know, if you ask me to name the starters right now, it'd be very difficult because they've been mixing and matching so much. And I thought it was really interesting. There was one play on Saturday. Someone comes up and makes a play on a short underneath throw. It was probably a five or six yard throw. And I saw seven, you know, it was something <laughs> seven. And I was like, is that Micah Kroom in there? It was the second group was out there. I was like, is it a 27? Is it a 17? No, it was 47. It was Stanley Taofu. The mm-hmm. defensive tackle had dropped back in coverage and then come up to make a tackle. And they're doing that a little bit more. And Vic Soto talked about it. He said, hey, yeah, yeah we're, we're trying to drop some guys into coverage. We're you know do, mixing and matching inside and outside, doing different things. And the reason is, this is the time to do it during the spring, is to see what guys can do. Okay, we're putting Jay Toy out there. Let's try to drop him back into coverage just to see what happens. And if he makes it and you go, wow, 
That's something we can do. Teams are not going to be expecting a 330-pound guy to do that. Yep. Now, that may not be something that is a skill set. You may see, okay, we need to mark that one off. We're not ever dropping Jay Torrey <laughs> in the coverage type of thing. But I think that the way they're mixing and matching and using different guys in different positions, you know, that's allowing us to see some of those guys pop and, and do some different things. So that group is definitely flashing for me. Yeah, that's been the interesting thing, seeing some of the big men drop into coverage, that lateral movement. It's like, oh, okay, some of them have some quick feet. But yeah, that's been interesting. And that's without... Uh, Ishmael Softer in for the spring since yeah. he uh, had that injury. Mm -hmm. So uh, more guys coming. So we'll see about that. Tuli um, Peloto too has been, uh, yeah. he's a beast out there too. Very true. Uh, we actually got to hear from him too uh, this yeah. week. And it was Did too we get to hear from him. He's a man, man of, of few, few words. words. He's, yeah. a, he's, a two, from him. he's a Tui Peloto. He's a man of few words. <laughs> it's yeah. true. But he did. It was pretty interesting when uh, Vic Soto was talking about like, hey, we have certain uh, responsibilities on the defensive line and they know what they are. And in the middle of his answer, he said, Tuli, What's what's your responsibility as a defensive lineman? And he just recites uh, this this yeah. motto, I guess, and it was pretty cool. So uh, that was an interesting little tidbit. They of the, definitely practiced that motto, yeah. Yeah, it, which, which tells you, the, you know, the I can't remember exactly what it was. But it was about hunting. You know, they want they want the defensive linemen to be hunters. Go out and seek out the quarterbacks, seek out the running back, be the you know the lion in the weeds that's going and attacking, and. That's their motto. The fact that he could recite that and it was like, I don't know, probably 15, 20 words. And it's something that they all know. It's something that's ingrained in them that they want them. That's the the uh, culture they're trying to build. That's the mentality they want. They want them to have that mentality, that seek and destroy type of mentality, which I think is interesting that, that you're seeing that group. And the fact that he can recite it tells you that it's ingrained. It's something that is constantly being repeated. That's the mentality. That's the culture we, that Vic Soto is trying to build. Mm -hmm. See ball, get ball is one of the things he yeah. said. So. Uh, that is the motto. Eric on Facebook says, which player has been your biggest surprise so far this spring? I think I know who Shotgun might say. <laughs> Shotgun, go for uh, it. I know if you wanted me to go first. Uh, and, yes. and so Ryan can't steal it. Joshua Jackson, <laughs> yeah. uh, the cornerback, has been a standout. Now, um, we have seen him play. You know, uh, Chris and I saw him play in high school at cornerback. Didn't have to do too much work in the game that we saw. So we know that we knew that he could play that position, but he's playing at a high level. You know, the interceptions that he's made, you know, going out and, you know, laying out for interceptions like a wide receiver would. He's running the routes for the receivers. Now, it definitely helps that he knows the offense, so he knows where it's going. It'll be a little bit different when he's facing an offense that he's not used to, but you can tell in the one-on-one -on -one drills where you're running routes and the, the you know, the, the DB doesn't know exactly what the route is. He's still on there, so it's not just that he's ahead of the page because, um, because he knows the offense and, and was in it last year. I think he's making a lot of plays and making some strides and turned a lot of heads to potentially be in the mix for one of those starting spots. I think ITS has really stood out as well. And Chris Steele is coming along, and he was part of that group that, that wasn't able to practice the first week. Uh, so he comes in this past week, and now he's got something to prove because the other two guys out there are, are already making their mark uh, a week ahead. A little yeah. chippy, too. Yeah. Oh, definitely. That, it's Chris Steele, so there's always going to be a little chippiness <laughs> there. But Michael Jackson the third, uh, the, the freshman wide receiver from Vegas, Getting into it with Chris Steele, getting into it with Jaden Williams. He's yeah. not backing down from anybody. No, no he likes getting all. into it. Mm -hmm. I, I think, obviously, he has to be your guy as far as biggest surprise. You're talking about a position switch going to the other side of the yeah. ball. And like, oh, and he's making plays uh, over there. So that's good. I mean, is Kanai Malga like a surprise? Like, you kind of expect some big things. I think he's been playing really well. You know, the guys on the, the defensive line we mentioned, like a Thule or a or Jay Toy, I think those those guys have been – uh, great out there. So I think that's kind of interesting to see. On the offensive side, I mean, you know, 
I didn't ex- really expect Cortland Ford to get all those first team reps at left tackle, but he's. I think he's played pretty well out there, and they, they obviously have confidence in him if they're keeping him out there. So he might be one of the guys on the offensive side. You could say it's a surprise. Hmm, interesting. Okay. Yeah, I would have to go with Josh Jackson. Anytime a guy switches sides of the ball, it's like, oh, are they going to get lost in the depth chart? But no, yeah. he's been he's been standing out. We've seen switches, and then you never hear from them again. Like yeah. not, like switches, and like boom, and it just pops on the screen. Like oh, that's different. You know. <laughs> What's that noise, Ryan? Boom, pop on the screen. <laughs> A couple of the, the young guys have stood out just quickly is Toya, like we talked about, and mm-hmm. Michael Jackson on the yeah. offensive side. I think yeah. both those guys have, have really impressed as true freshmen in their first camp. Mm-hmm. Uh, Keith on Twitter, Periscope, not sure, says, has Stephen Carr looked like the possible starter for the running back position? Honestly, I think he's probably – he would be at the, the bottom of my rankings of the really? running backs right now. Interesting. Um, now, I don't think he's getting a ton of reps out there. He is – he's still the best pass blocker of the group. But, you know, Keontae Ingram has flashed, Brandon Campbell has flashed. Those two guys are getting more opportunities because it's new offense for them, so they need to learn the system as they're installing these first, you know, first couple weeks of practice. And then Vi had a big 50-yard run and a touchdown in the team run period as well on Saturday. So I think he's flashed a little bit more than Stephen Carr as well. Mm-hmm. Ryan, any thoughts on the running back position? Yeah, I think uh, when I watched Tuesday when we were at the Coliseum, I just was really impressed with Conte Ingram. Like, he just looked like he was out there. Uh, he wants to start. And I feel like he was really smooth catching the football. He just looked natural out there. So I, his transition into this, you know, offense seems to be, you know, he did a lot of that, I think, in high school, playing in this kind of offense. Seems to be, he looked pretty comfortable to me out there. So I think there's going to be a battle. If, if you're going to get what Mike Jinks was talking about and have a featured back, I mean, he, He's got as good a chance as anybody, just from what I saw in the f- first few practices. Mm-hmm. He's been the toughest guy to tackle so far. Yeah, yeah, that's something you and I both noted on on Saturday, Shaka, when we were like, "Oh, he he doesn't stop at the first contact." Um, we have a question about Keen Slovis, I believe. Ooh, it's from Mark Watkins, who says, "Keely, do you still believe the sources that insisted Keaton wasn't playing with an injury last season?" Tom House on Shotgun's podcast is the latest to say he was com- compensating for an injury. So I actually didn't get a chance yet. Sorry, guys, to listen Thanks to your lot, podcast. Dude. You don't listen to any podcast either, it. Shotgun. So don't even. Um, so I don't fully know what he said, but here's the thing. My sources said that he wasn't he didn't actively have an injury during the season. If he was compensating for an old injury, which is something Keaton actually alluded to, that's something different. But uh, the narrative in the season from fans wanting to know what was happening was like, "Oh, he probably he's probably playing through an injury." My sources said that wasn't the case. And so, yes, I still stand by that. But if he was overcompensating for the holiday bowl injury or his arm was getting weak preseason, Sure, but I don't think it was an active injury that he suffered in the season. Yeah, and by the way, go listen to the Heard It on the Sidelines podcast from Shotgun. Not just because I was on it, but you know, <laughs> I was brilliant, obviously. But Tom House obviously. is amazing. The guy is yeah, 74 years old. I mean, we could have talked for hours with the dude. Make sure you go check that one out. It was It's awesome. He's, he's awesome. He's great. L- let's just put it this way. He name-dropped... <laughs> around he, he was approaching double digit name drops of hall of famers yeah in <laughs> and multiple sports it. yeah yeah <laughs> so you know current and future hall of famers yeah. we'll put it so and then had gavin morris on and then one a usc professor sandy tolan who wrote a book about hank aaron so the the the, the focus of the episode this past week was hank aaron is the anniversary of him hitting the home run to break babe ruth's record but when we're talking to Tom House, we're talking to Gavin Morris. You know, football comes up a little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gregory on YouTube said, question, Brew, Drake, and Kyle Ford will be the starting trio wide receivers for USC? Question mark. Thoughts? Hmm. I don't think so. 
Ooh. You know, I, I think with them practicing Drake outside and the fact that Kyle Ford is going to be coming back from an injury, I think someone else is going to be able to take that position and, you know, maybe he's going to be switching out with one of those bigger guys. Um, but I, I think Gary Bryant Jr. And just the the way that they have been, the receivers they brought in recently, you know, you look at Gary Bryant Jr., you look at Joshua Jackson, you look at, um, you, you look at Taj Washington and Katie Nixon. None of those are those big, bulky guys like Brew McCoy, Kyle Ford. Now, maybe it's because you already have them on the roster. You don't need to recruit the same type of guy. But I think that, the, that you may be seeing the receiver position go to the smaller, quicker guys that, that, they, you know, that really excel in the inside slot positions in a, a true air raid type of offense. You know, the Wes Welker types that you know, had so much success at Texas Tech. Maybe that's where you see. So maybe they, instead of having uh, Drake London in that slot position as the jumbo tight end, maybe now you see Gary Bryant Jr. or Katie Nixon in one of those slot positions. So that would be one of the guys I would think would, would end up with a starting spot. Ryan, any thoughts? No, because I was working on questions. So <laughs> oh, is it hard to double tap? Well, I'm putting comments up, and you're not putting them up, so it's throwing me off. <laughs> okay, anyway. We have a question. See, see, oh, see the comment? No wonder <laughs> you didn't tell me what it was about. Mark Walken says, let's be honest, when is Ryan not brilliant? See, Mark, thank you. You're just trying to get That's what I'm more worried about. No, know? okay, that makes Thanks, sense. Thanks, Mark. <laughs> anyway, uh, we had a question from Jesse on YouTube that said, uh, which position group on the defense could be considered the weak link at this point? Inside linebacker, he says, he asks. I yeah. think that's that's got to be one uh, right now, just with some of the injuries and stuff. We're, you know, uh, but, you know, Raylan Goforth uh, was back, I believe, on Saturday. Mm-hmm. So that's that helps a little bit. Uh, guys like Kanai Malga is playing uh, well. But you know, I think you want to see that group at full strength. You, you lose Palier. You want to see um, Solomon Tuyalpupu, what he can do. So, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like right now that, that position group has a lot to prove. But I have some confidence knowing that Todd Orlando is going to be coaching them up. And I felt like I, I don't th- I think the first couple of games, they really underperformed. And I feel like they got better. And I feel they will uh, this year, too. But still, there's some question marks there right now. I, I think you also have to look at the nickelback spot just I because was, yeah. of the injuries. Yeah. You know, we, we found we got confirmation that Max Williams has a torn ACL. He's out for the season. Uh, Chris Torino broke that story a couple minutes before, a few minutes before his, his uh, father, Maxwell Williams, uh, also posted it online. But um, So that's a tough break for USC and unfortunate for Max, second one in, in I think, three years now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but Greg Johnson is also out right now with a meniscus. I think it was meniscus injury. Uh, yeah. We had surgery in the offseason, knee surgery. So he's not going to participate this spring either. So that – Kind of, I mean, there's a concern there, but it also kind of opens things up. And now they're going to try experiment some things. We saw Isaiah Paul Mao actually in that yep. spot on Saturday, and that's an intriguing, you know, development because Isaiah Paul Mao has been your rangy safety at the top of your defense that mm-hmm. can go and you know play sideline to sideline, make an interception. Now you you bring him down in the box, and he can be a physical player to help out in the run game. You know, maybe that's a you know a spot that that kind of changes the look of the defense. A little bit different, you know, he presents a little bit different than Max Williams, Greg Johnson, or even Talano Hufunga was yep. playing in the box a lot last year. So they moved him down. It was kind of a rotation. You know, the, the starting safety stayed the same as far as Chase Williams was in there uh, with Xavion Alford. Those guys had been both first team, getting some first team reps as well. And now you, you move Isaiah, pull him out over the nickelback spot. So we'll see how that continues to progress because with all those young DBs that they have, those young safeties, they can mix and match and see, you know, where people fit best and who can 
can play that nickel position, which is a little bit different uh, than what you're asking the other safeties. Mm-hmm. I, I was kind of surprised when Clay, we talked to Clay Helton about that and, you know, bringing Isaiah Polamau into the mix. I thought they'd do like a Chase Williams or something. I think yeah. Keely and I talked about that yeah. Yeah. on the podcast. And so I was like, oh, but, you know, liking the way he can play up near the line of scrimmage, like the, liking the way he can drop back in the coverage or play man to man and cover guys in the slot. Uh, Clayton seems to have a lot of confidence there. So it, that that was an interesting development. So it'll be fun to watch if he's doing that, like in the spring showcase and all that too. And we'll see on Tuesday if he does more of that in practice. And again, it could be similar to the defensive tackles dropping in the coverage. It could be, let's see. Let's see what it looks like. Let's see if that is an option. And then decide if it's something that we want to actually invest the time and effort into building up. Uh, so I, I think there's something there because Chase Williams seems like a natural fit for that. Because we've seen him in that spot before. Yeah. He's yeah. played that position. But also even as a freshman, you know, in the game he started against Notre Dame, he ended up coming down and playing the nickel spot. He started as a deep safety and then moved to, to nickel in that game and had some success coming off the edge. I think it comes down to coverage, though, and that's a big thing is that they need that nickel back spot to cover. Do they feel that Chase can cover enough or they feel better with having him as a deep safety? I think that may be the, the – um, what kind of decides that position between those two guys in, in particular? Mm-hmm. I know it was likely probably only his second uh, practice at the position, but what did you take away from Isaiah Pullman on Saturday, Shotgun? I mean, the biggest thing that I noticed was that he still has to learn where to line up. Like, that's how fresh it was. Like, you could hear Craig Nivar yelling, no, 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 go this way, go this way. You know, that, that happened several times. So I think that shows you that don't take too much away from one practice. Like, if he's out of spot, out of place for a, a player or something, you know, I, I don't put too much stock into it because he's still learning where he should actually just be on the field as far as where he's lining up before the play. Mm-hmm. I believe we have a question about wide receivers. Brandon on YouTube says, who will be the new starting wide receivers with the departures of St. Brown and Vons out? We kind of already touched on this, but we can get on it again. What do you think, Shotgun? Let's, let's get Ryan like, give his opportunity since yeah. I, I went ahead and gave mine. Yeah, so I think, you know, with Drake London on the outside, uh, you know, I it's interesting that they're going to move him out there, but I feel like he's going to – they're going to – I feel they're going to mix guys around a lot, but I think we're going to see more of him – on the outside, I don't think you can get away from having Brew McCoy uh, on the field. I mean, he's just, you know, he's he's looking really good. Um, I think Gary Bryant Jr. is working his way towards that. I think we might see him a little bit more. But Kyle Ford is the dude I want to see in the fall. Uh, he's just, he's a special athlete. And I think he's got a real opportunity. It's, it's a shame we don't get to see him right now. But um, I mean, we see him in individual drills. But not like, yes, yeah, with the team speed, stuff. Yes, so uh, I, I feel like he's going to be in the mix too. Mm-hmm. We got to. Sorry, Shotgun, do you want to jump in? Uh, Gary Bryant's a guy to keep an eye on. I I think that he can work his way into that starting role. I I thought Katie Nixon would come in and and compete for that role, but he's still, you know, he's getting the hang of the offense and stuff, so we'll see where he is in a couple weeks as far as playmaking and whatnot. But but Gary Bryant has made some some very nice plays so far this spring, and the way that he was talked up by Graham Harrell makes me think that that he's kind of a little bit ahead of anyone else in that potential slot position. Did it have – Sorry, go for it. Ryan. Well, when we talked to Kerry Colbert, it it sounded like you had like these established like just pillars of the the wide receiver group that they were like boom, boom, boom. You're not moving them at all, so you weren't going to get rotations. I think we might see a lot more buys come in. I, Katie Nixon is going to be on the field. Is he going to be in the starting group? He might not, but I think you're going to see him a bunch. You might see a whole bunch of reps from a bunch of different guys, like we thought. Maybe not 
10 to 12 or whatever that, that uh, Graham Harrell said at the beginning. But we might see more uh, this year. It's just my guess. Honestly, I think it just comes down to who establishes the better chemistry with uh, Keenan Slovis, or at yeah. least faster. That's something that uh, we've noted on different platforms is that, you know, Drake Lynn's really the only guy who has that chemistry with uh, Slovis established right now. So I- I've been watching just to see because it's a little clunky right now, which is no one's fault in particular, but something that needs to develop for sure. Yeah. Also, where Drake London lines up yeah. or how many receivers on the field could come back to the tight ends too. You know, can a tight end establish themselves as a receiving threat to where you don't have to take them off the field and have to put a jumbo player out there uh, or a, a wide receiver in there instead of having a jumbo option as a tight end? You know, Ethan Ray has made some strides. Eric Cromanhook is still the established starter there. But, you know, can someone jump in? You know, can Michael Trigg come in? I think that's part of the reason why you see Drake London outside is, okay, we're going to want Drake London on the field regardless. But maybe we can get one of those tight ends to step up and, and be a guy that can be a threat as the interior guy. And then we don't have to take off um, a, a player to, to bring on, you know, to, to get Drake London on the field. We don't have to, you know, take him from the inside. You know, you can have that tight end in there to take that role as well. So we'll see. Mm-hmm. Hey, Keith on Periscope wanted to know, is Trey going to be a wide receiver or a tight end? He's, he's listed as a tight end. Yeah. They recruited him as a tight end. J.D. Baker was the one that brought him in. So he's going to play the tight end. And if he blocks enough, then he'll be, you know, a, a tight end that can split out. That's what they ideally want. They want a guy like Jay Samaro when Cliff, Cliff Kingsbury was at Texas Tech. When his first year, he won the Mackey Award as the best tight end in the country. Now, he could, he could block, but then he could split out and he become a mismatch against this linebacker because he's too big, too quick for him, against a safety because he's too big for him. That's what you want. You want a guy that can be the Gronk, the Travis Kelsey but that's something that they haven't had. You know, they haven't had that on the roster. No one has stepped up and, and taken that role yet. Could Josh Follow do it? You know, he's got to block enough for it. You know, so there's options there, but people have to step up and, and you know, take over a role like that and prove themselves to be that type of player. Mm-hmm. On the second team on Saturday, we saw both uh, Eric Cromanhook and Lake McCree out there. Shotgun, what did mm-hmm. you take away from that? Yeah, Lake McCree's a guy that's a natural pass catcher, and, and he's a guy that if he can block enough, then I think he can be in that mix as well. Chromehook Hook is, you know, is super consistent with what he gives you, you know, and we've seen that for the last couple of years, but it's not the type of player that they want in the air raid to be that jumbo guy that blocks and then goes out and becomes a dynamic weapon at the tight end position. He's not that guy. Mm-hmm. We got a tweet from our buddy Steve who didn't include the hashtag Tunnel Vision, so I can't put it on the screen. Sorry, uh, Steve. But he said, I've been absent recently. Glad to be back. Glad to have you back. Uh, which team in the Pac-12 South is USC's biggest competition and which team in the, in the North is the cream of the crop? By the way, I renewed my season ticket. Oh, nice. Well, congrats to you. Um, I mean, Arizona State is definitely a team that's on the rise. you got a veteran quarterback. There's not a lot of veteran quarterbacks coming back throughout the Pac-12. So who does in the Pac-12 South? Well, for sure, uh, UCLA and Arizona State. I think those would be the two biggest competitors. I mean, Utah's probably going to be there as well. But just UCLA, the way they were able to improve uh, last year, and they just looked a lot better, I feel like they're going to be a legit team in Arizona State. Uh, amassing a lot of talent there. I think they have a good coaching staff. Um, so I think their quarterback situation is a little stronger than what you're going to see at Utah. Although Utah is just, you know, they bring it every year. But I think those are, you know, if you're going to put three teams, ASU, UCLA, and Utah, but I think I'd do it in that order. And then three out of the six, three, out of, three, six. three out of the five opponents. But I'll say Arizona State <laughs> for sure. And then, or, you know, until somebody topples Oregon, they're going to be the team to beat in the North. And until USC does it, that's going to be the team they need to beat in yeah. the North as well. 
Um, it, when you're looking at the South, it's, do you pick the overachievers or the underachievers? Because the overachievers are Utah. You know, yeah. It doesn't seem like they, they have talent on paper, uh, but they develop it. And they've got a couple of transfer quarterbacks coming in that have some experience. Uh, the, uh, Charles Brewer, I believe it is, from Baylor has experience. He could be a, a dynamic weapon for them if he gets in there and fits in well. You know, they did that last year, and it didn't work out because USC injured their quarterback, Hammer Rising. So, you know, they could potential a lot of their their DB. I mean, a lot of their young defenders got some that experience last year. Are they ready to take a next step forward? That that'll be interesting to watch. As far as the underachievers, Arizona State. You know, we talk about how they're amassing talent, but they're maxing out at like eight wins every year. They haven't really taken that next step. You, we keep going, yeah, they look like a team that could take the next step. They still haven't done it yet. So they're a team that you, you keep an eye on because there's more and more talent there, but they, they haven't taken that step yet. And they should this year with Jaden Daniels being you know a third-year quarterback. Same thing with UCLA. You think DTR should take that next step, and they should be an offense that's difficult to stop. You know They were at times last year, but – Consistency, you know, the Pac-12 South is a conference. I mean, is a division of inconsistency. Yeah, I, UCLA just kind of figured out their offense and the run game, and they figured out, you know, being aggressive on defense. And they were, you know, blitzing at the right time. They were getting a good, a lot of pressure on the quarterback, really impacting what opposing offenses wanted to do later in the season. So I, I feel like UCLA. Past some sort of hurdle, and they're going to be on a, a better tier. They haven't won. They haven't won a conference game yet under Chip Kelly. They haven't had a winning record yet. So this is a big projection, but I feel like UCLA is going to be better. We'll see. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think they're going to be better. <laughs> you said that uh, they, they figured out that being physical on defense is a good thing. You know that that kind of sounds sums up the Pac-12 uh, in general at yeah. times. Punch people in the mouth every once in a while, and they were doing it. Yeah. <laughs> Robert on Facebook says, has the O-line widened their gaps so the running backs have a better chance in this offense? Have you noticed that, Chaka? Not something that I've noticed. noticed, Not something I necessarily had looked for, um, but it it hasn't jumped out. It hasn't been like the Mike Lee splits for sure, uh, where you look at it and you go, whoa, that's – and we've seen some direct lead behind because sometimes on the sideline you don't necessarily – you can't tell – but because of the view that we have at the, at Howard Jones Field from the aquatic deck, then we can definitely see that. And it hasn't jumped out to me, so I'm going to say no. I haven't seen any uh, significant change there. Mm-hmm. We had a question from Moms on YouTube who says, how is Jackson Dart looking? They're freshman quarterbacks. I mean, they're <laughs> up and down. You know, Jackson Dart has made a couple throws. They go, oh, okay. I see that there's potential there. Same thing with Miller Moss. But there, it's a learning curve, especially early. Neither one of them has Ricky Towns yet, you know, and thrown three straight interceptions <laughs> or yikes, anything like that. Is that a verb? Wow. Yeah, it is. Poor Ricky. Um, uh, yikes. So, you know, I think they're, they're where they should be. They're not, you know, they're not – your eyeballs are popping out your head at what they're doing, and they're not, you know, going, oh, no, that's, that's not good either. So I think they're just where they should be. Well, yeah. I made the comment on the Family Feud podcast. They've only been at practice for a couple hours. <laughs> like, like, just everyone just chill a little bit. Yeah, yeah that's not the case. But, freshman quarterbacks, but especially when there's a competition. I know, <laughs> yeah. I know, but I'm just saying. But, I mean, if you watch them, you can see, like, oh, I get why people like Jackson Dart. Oh, I get why people like yeah. Miller Moss. There's some cool stuff that they do. 
and you feel like they're going to be able to build on that. But it's it's really early. They're in their mm -hmm. infancy as college quarterbacks. <laughs> cool stuff they can do, right? Yeah, I mean, like when you see them like Absolutely. running and like throwing it on the run, you're like, oh, okay, that, there's some mobility yeah, no, no, there. No, no, there's like, that was a pretty looking ball, you know, things mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. Uh, Palulau, I don't know if I said that wrong. I'm sorry. On YouTube said, how's recruiting with a defensive lineman from Washington? I believe he's talking about JT Tui Malowau. Shate, thoughts? He has not made a commitment yet, and that's a positive thing for USC, uh, which means that he is likely going to take his visits during the summer. USC needs to be able to get one of those visits, which has been the plan. And if the NCAA does finally open up, he will be probably the most important recruit that they bring in this, this summer. And there are plenty of big-name recruits that are coming in this summer. USC is doing a great job of stacking up those official visit weekends, potentially, uh, for the summer with a number of out-of-state kids, four- and five-star prospects. You know, when we, we get to that stage and, you know, we get the you know, list uh, of who is on campus on certain days, you're going to look at it and go, wow, that's a that's an impressive group. If they can get half that group in the class, then you would be excited about it. So uh, they're doing a good job as far as setting those things up. Now that's just a step in the recruitment, obviously. But JT Tuomaloa, it's a big step for him because that's one of the reasons why he has waited this long. Mm -hmm. We got a Periscope question okay. from NorCal Trojan. Any new running plays? I'm looking forward to seeing how the new offensive line coach, talk about Clay McGuire, uh, helps the running game. Oh, yeah, there's been like three uh, triple reverses, um, <laughs> some, some halfback counter, and no, we, we're not allowed to disclose the, their formational yeah. stuff that they're doing. Um, yeah, but Graham Harrell's offense has been pretty consistent. Yes. He, it, it, there's not like the, the playbook's this big, not this big. It's very small. But then each week, you know, based on a defense, that's when he'll put an extra play in or change something off of one of their plays. That's what they do more. So it's about being good in the the, the few plays that they have. That's the thing about the air raid is we're going to rep it over and over and over and over again and then get it good. They haven't done that in the run game. So uh, they need to start mastering the run plays they have before they need to worry about putting any extra ones in. Yeah, mm -hmm. I've seen a few more two-back sets. Uh, in practice, so we've seen a little bit of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they, they've experimented with some different stuff. You're going to see, and that's what the spring is for. See what you guys see, what the guys can do. You know, if you put two backs in there, can a guy block? You know, can he also catch the swing pass? Because one guy's going to usually stay in to block, the other one's going to go out and swing. You got to see those things, and that's what the spring is for. That's an important step this year for the offense and defense is having the spring camp just to you know see what those skill sets are after last year not being able to have that chance. Mm -hmm. Tony on YouTube wanted to know who will be the defensive leaders this season. Uh, Keeley has mentioned Chase Williams multiple times as a guy who's been very vocal at practice. Um, I, I think it has to come from your best players need to be you know playmakers. Isaiah Polmal is obviously going to be. Yep. You know, he was a captain last year, so. I obviously think he is. Jordan Iasefa is another guy that, you know, is a veteran guy. If he's healthy, I expect him to be a captain um, or be a leader on the defense at least. I don't know if he'll be a captain, but you need your star players. You need Drake Jackson to become a leader. You need guys to follow him, which I think is, is partly the case. But, you know, to follow his lead and for him to, to be making a lot of plays, you'll have even more people follow. So that's a guy that, that I'm keeping an eye on now in his second year is, you know, is, or third year, is he taking that next step as far as leadership as well? Yeah, Chase Williams has been very vocal uh, on Saturday. Kanai Malga uh, was really rallying up the guys when he was not playing. And then Greg Johnson, who is on Rehab Island, he's not playing this 
this spring uh, has been super vocal too. I remember mm-hmm. during one of the the third and shorts, he came over from Rehab Island and was just shouting at guys. Like he's definitely in it and making sure that he's an active participant, uh, given that he's injured. So I thought that was an interesting note as well. So you're seeing some more vocal guys. I'm just curious how that plays out leadership wise. Since you touched on Kanaya Mauga, he's a guy that's been making a lot of plays too. Yeah. We haven't yeah. mentioned him yet in the show, but he's a guy that's been sneakily having a really good camp. Yeah, and that's something where he was he was the one uh, delayed in fall camp, right, Shotgun? Yeah, he had a hamstring issue, and you know he only played a little bit in the first game and then moved into the starting lineup. Um, so he was a little slow catching up in the new defense, but and he was a little slow as far as reading and reacting in the first couple of games that he participated. Mm-hmm. You saw that progression come on really quick starting in that Utah game when he had double-digit tackles. Mm-hmm. As far as I mentioned it, the, the third and short drills that we saw, what did you see from that shotgun as far as the defense? The defense was in the backfield all the time, basically. Yeah. So that's, that, I mean, to put it bluntly, yeah. They, yeah. they dominated that, that, that drill and that portion of that practice. Mm-hmm. That's I, the concern. I mean, we saw on Tuesday in the Coliseum similar stuff when it was like a third and one. There, just, there was, you know, and uh, our, our buddy R.J. Abadia was there, and he wrote a story about USC's run game last year, and one of the big issues was those short yardage situations, and it didn't seem like it got better. So I don't know about the new plays that, uh, you know, that NorCal Trojan was asking about, but you want to be able to see when you have to run the football, can you? Haven't really seen it so far this spring. Yeah, Saturday was a situational third down plays, but I believe Tuesday is going to be specifically third and short, and we'll oh, okay. see about that. Uh, and because of that, we've gotten some questions, multiple questions about has USC gone under center so far this spring? Shadi, what have you seen? We've not seen that yet, and you know we'll see if that's something that they decide. You know, I asked Clay McGuire about it in his initial uh, presser after he was hired. He said it's something that he would discuss with Graham Harrell, but hasn't been something that we've that has happened on a Tuesday or Saturday. We have to note that we don't see on Thursdays, and I wouldn't put it past USC to, you know, if they're going to do something new, to, you know, do it a little bit on, on Thursdays when the media is not there to at least sample it. And then if they, if they feel comfortable with it, then maybe they institute it on a Saturday during a scrimmage. Yeah. We got a question on Facebook from Jeff who says, uh, will Keenan Kirsten see the field this year? It seems like we are just wasting his speed. Uh, he's an instant mismatch, question mark? I mean, he's not going to gain any spots in the running back room when he's not at practice. So he's running track right now, and he's a hell of a a track athlete, but it's hard for him to impress a new offensive line coach because those guys have input on the running backs as well uh, when he's not at practice. So, you know, we'll see. The big question for me is, are they trying to have a speed back? Um, do they feel like they can open up a big enough hole that the speed back can get through there rather than having, okay, we need someone that can break that tackle in the backfield because we're not opening up a hole. So I think part of it comes down to the offensive line. If they're going to open up holes, then that's a guy you got to get on the field because he turns a four-yard run into a 40-yard run in an instant. Mm-hmm. The fact that they wanted a featured back, Mike Jinks talked about that, and Kristen isn't in practice right now. I don't think it's boding very well, but, I mean, he does bring something that the other guys don't have. Maybe there'll be packages for him. Would have loved to see him out there, but uh, you know, you've almost brought, basically brought in another potential starter ahead of him uh, in you know in Ingram. So yeah, that, I don't know. I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't say stock is rising if you got you know to use your. Uh, it's not stock neutral. I think it would be stock falling for Keely and Shotgun. That would be stock down. Stock uh, down, yeah. Ryan, if you actually listen to the podcast, just yeah. Like, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, we had a question from Mark Watkins on YouTube who says, uh, "How has Parker Lewis looked in practice? He has a huge leg, but is he getting any more consistent?" I 
haven't really noticed anything. The the times I've seen him kicking were I pay, I saw him kicking more in the Coliseum when we have a side uh, side angle, so you can't really even tell if it's going through or not. Uh, so I, I'm not a guy that's been on my keep an eye, a close eye on this 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 year. He's the easy starter there, so I've been paying attention to other things. Yeah, he's the starter. There's no like you know, it, it's it's kind of hard to you know evaluate everything that's going on there. But you just gotta know. Okay, Ben Griffith's gonna punt. Parkler's gonna kick. It's kind of that's cool. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Uh, we got a question from Wawa on YouTube who says, what do you guys think about Mo Hassan as a backup since he has experience, plus he's a great dual threat quarterback? Wouldn't that make sense? And Mario on Twitter says, would it be a fail if Mo Hassan was QB2 instead of one of the freshmen? So I just wanted to kind of get your thoughts on the, hmm, the backup QB. I don't know if it would be a fail. I mean, it's fail a veteran. Such a strong word. It's sort of, it would be like he's like a Matt Fink replacement. Um, you know, he's like the veteran guy that's going to be your backup, but. Uh, I think you want the, the freshmen to compete and see where they end up. We thought Keen Slovis would just be QB4, you know, uh, in 2019, right? And he ends up being QB2. And then, you know, so if one of the freshmen jumps up and he becomes the second quarterback and something happens to Slovis, that would be very interesting. But sort of like, a you know, having a veteran backup, if you feel like everything's going to go well with, with Slovis, I think that's a smart play too. But I don't know. What do you guys think? I mean, I feel like it, it could be a situational thing, whereas – Mo Hassan, maybe he starts on the depth at, at number two on the depth chart. And if you're in a, you know, you're ahead by 14 points or something and you need a guy to hand the ball off, he's the guy that's going to go in there. He's got more experience. You know, if you need to make a couple throws, sure. Versus if you have an injury and then you know Keaton Slopes is going to be out for a month, then maybe you're riding a freshman because you think the, the ceiling is higher there. So I think it may be a situational thing there. But he, like I said, he's, he's thrown some very nice balls, yeah. you know, some great ball placement. But it, and also he's done a really nice job using his shoulders to manipulate the defense and some zone coverage and some different things. So he's shown some positive things this year. And Clay Helton, you know, kind of he was asked about it. Um, I guess yesterday. Um, that seems so long ago. <laughs> but he, he was asked about it and said, you know, that's a guy. He, he's he's shown us a lot of positive things since he got to campus. The only problem was he had the compartment leg syndrome. He had to have the surgery last year, so he missed a bunch of time. Um, but I, I think they were excited about having him and having that experienced guy there, you know, with with some SEC starting experience. That that can't be uh, negated at all. I mean, that is you know playing in the the best conference in the nation, even if it is for Vanderbilt, starting a game for them, you know, is something that definitely stands out on that resume. Mm-hmm. We have a general question from Herman on YouTube, and it kind of aligns with what you've said before, Shotgun. Uh, he says, "Hey, Tunnel Vision team, love the show. I have a question about the team. Uh, SC is going to be as good as the offensive and defensive line play. What are your thoughts and prediction for the upcoming season?" Chuck, and I know you've been, you've said a lot that the O line is key for USC. Yeah, it's the the biggest. It's been the biggest position question mark and the biggest position determining factor of if they'll be if they'll play to their potential in the last for years. Yeah, I was, <laughs> was going to say five years for sure. Probably eight. I would say eight or nine somewhere in there. I mean, I, I feel like I mean I started in two thousand nine in at USC, so. You know, basically since they had Tyron and, and Matt Khalil at the same time, since then it's been like, okay, if the offense of line, you know, steps up, if Marcus Martin comes in as a true freshman and can can fill a hole, then we should be really good this year. And that's been the case kind of down the line since then, it feels like. There have been a lot of issues over the years. And like what you're talking about, I mean, it was, I think, was it Zach Banner had like five offensive line coaches in five years? Yeah. I mean, that was pretty crazy there. Then you bring an offensive line, you know, Clay Helton brings in a guy that, 
wasn't the greatest recruiter in the world. And you got, some, you know, there, there were stars. Like USC's had first round offensive linemen in this group, but it's not been, it's just not been the kind of unit that we've seen uh, in years past. And it's been a question. And, you know, last year in 2020, you feel like you got a little lucky with, uh, you know, AVT being able to go out to left tackle. This is going to be a prove it year for one of those young guys that they recruited that wasn't the greatest recruiting class in the world, but you brought in a bunch of offensive linemen. Can one of them step out and play left tackle and play solidly? I've, I've been impressed with what I've seen from Cortland Ford. Uh, but yeah, this is, it's always going to be about the offensive line. You know, they got to be able to run the ball on third and shorts. They're going to be successful throwing the football around, but you got to keep Keaton Slovis healthy and you got to try to be able to run the football if you want to be an elite team. I think they could probably win the Pac 12 with kind of some mediocre offensive line play, but there's no way they can have that kind of offensive line play and do something on a national stage. Uh, they can do it on the Pac-12 stage, but not nationally. Yeah, for sure. Uh, we're reaching the top of the hour. I know we have questions still to work through, but if you want any rapid-fire questions, go ahead and put them in the chat box. Uh, we had a question from Walker Lamer on YouTube who says, any chance of transfers uh, for offensive linemen coming in? We talked about this a little bit before with the window. USC's window for bringing a transfer sort of closed. You know, well, first of all, they wanted to bring in a, a left tackle. They didn't have an offensive line coach. Now you got Clay McGuire, but it's not an enrollment period. So uh, I feel like in the summer, you might, if they go that way, you might see someone. But they do already have 19 uh, scholarship offensive linemen. So they, that'd be 20 if they brought in another one. So, and that would definitely kind of, uh, you know, shake things up a little bit, especially if you go a whole spring with some young guys playing left tackle. You bring in a veteran. I don't know that could have a, a negative mental impact on the team too. I mean, that happened with Drew Richmond. I don't think that was a big uh, shakeup, if you will. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they would love to get a starting left tackle from the portal and be able to, you know, build those young guys up and have them mature and become and work their way into starters rather than being thrown into a starting role. Um, but Starting left tackles are probably the most coveted thing in the transfer portal, unless you can get a starting quarterback. That's the only other thing, you know, the the Jamie Newmans of the world, the JT Daniels um, that Georgia both got those last year. But, you know, those are those are the two high, most highly paid positions in the NFL, and that's why they're the most highly coveted in the transfer portal as well. Mm-hmm. We got a question from Anthony on, I believe it was YouTube, who said, uh, is Jake Lichtenstein's ceiling high and is Nick Figueroa the number one guy on the D-line? I think Lichtenstein's ceiling is high. He was a guy that impressed me in 2018, I guess now. you know, was 2019. He really came on at the end of the season. Was that? No, because he missed 2019. He missed the 2019 season. Okay, um, it's all a blur at this point. Yeah, so you know, it's, it's been a long time, but he impressed early in his career, made some plays there, um, and had worked his way into the rotation, missed the 2019 season. He opted out of the 2020 season, comes back at the end, but doesn't really get in, get in any game. So, you know, it's two seasons in a row he's missed. So he's got some potential there, you know, and he's, he's super strong. And he's making some plays so far in the spring. So, yeah, I think there's definitely some potential and high ceiling there. But we got to see it on, on the field on Saturdays and stuff. And if he continues to show it in the spring, then, you know, I, I will feel more and more confident about that. Is Nick Figueroa the number one guy on the defensive line? You would think that. But honestly, I don't think so. Because if you're not practicing, and Vic Soto has talked about how much the you know what is determined comes from practice and Nick is out with an injury right now and he'll have his opportunity to jump back into that role but right now I wouldn't say he is but just because he's out yeah, yeah. I have to agree we got a question on Facebook from Sergio who says are the practices more physical 
Yes. Yeah, there definitely are. Um, I, what do you guys think? Like, without Todd Orlando on staff, do you think they would be? I, I kind of don't think so. I just feel like the way he talks about it, that was something that was like a must-have. You know, like, hey, I'll, I'll come join your team, but we got to practice physically, which, you know, something USC sort of maybe not done as much in years past. I mean, I don't know if it's Todd Orlando per se. If it was the same coaching staff as before, no, I don't think it. But they needed a change, and I think the new defensive staff as a whole has definitely brought that. You know, from the you know from Vic Soto getting the defensive lineman to recite you know about hunting and going and finding the ball, and you know that being their mentality. There's been a mentality change, and that's what they're working towards. You know, there's been a little bit of it. They're working to having it being a full time thing that we see on every Saturday. You know, when there where there's a game. Um, but I think that it's definitely different. You know, there is more physical, starting with the Trojan drill a couple times, I think that sets the tone and, and, you know, what you're looking for out of the players. And, you know, so far, I, I think that they're doing a good job of changing that, that culture, that mentality that they're looking for on the defense side of the ball. Mm -hmm. I definitely think that it starts with Todd Orlando. And it's with talking to him in pressers. It's not one of those things where you know he's trying to say it no. so that we believe him. He just like, he <laughs> yeah. hates non-batted practices. That is his <laughs> DNA. So I think that it starts from there. And then you have a guy like Vixa Oto who just looks so excited when the Trojan drill is about to happen. Like you can tell that there's excitement <laughs> there. So I think that permeates throughout at least the defensive side of the ball. So yeah. I think that that does change it. Uh, we have multiple questions about the tight end. First off, Jasper Smith says, haven't heard much talk about the tight ends. Will they finally get some play this season as compared to the past? And Joan Levis said, what about tight end? Ethan Ray and Jude Wolf were both highly recruited. Have they seen any action? Jude Wolf is out right now with an injury. Ethan Ray is back from an injury. He's working his way back still. You know, I think I mean he's out there and running routes and everything, but I still he's still shaking off the rust a little bit. Uh, so, you know, Lake McCree has, has made a couple nice catches as well. Some positive things from them, but you know nothing that has jumped out and said, "Oh my goodness, the tight ends are definitely going to be used this year in a different way." Mm -hmm. And it's not like will they get some play this season? They play all the time. They're on the field. Yes. They just don't throw them the ball. They're used as blockers, and pretty much that's it. And just a guy to take up some space every once in a while. Eric Cromanhook will get some catches. Josh Follow's got a couple touchdowns the last th over the last three years, but that's pretty much it. Yeah, mm -hmm. I mean we don't get to watch everything. Obviously, we're not in the meeting rooms. But just from the first couple of weeks, am I looking at this going, wow, the tight ends are going to be different, and wow, the run game is going to be different? I haven't got that impression yet. I don't know if you guys have. But no. just in general, if I had to bet, I'd be like, eh, the run game is probably going to be closer to what it was before, and the tight ends are probably going to be used the way they were before, at least from what I've seen. So sure. far, it looks very much like last year. Yeah. The defense is making strides. The offense seems a bit stagnant right now. And part of that is because new offensive line coach, and that's the issue that you have. You got you bring in a new guy. You, your offensive line is the issue running the ball with the offensive line. So you're trying to figure out what you have there. The uh, new coach is trying to figure it out. You're trying to get new terminology. All that type of stuff is going on. So it's not. I'm not pressing the panic button that it is still the same yet. Uh, but it is something that you're definitely keeping an eye on and saying still looks about like it did last year. We got a question on YouTube from 1960s Kid who said, question, do we know what to expect on Saturday? Ones versus ones, clock manage management drills, or a certain number of plays? I believe he's talking about the sp spring showcase slash game. Yeah, it seems like we get mixed messages. It's showcase, it's game. We've heard both. We've heard both. So we don't, I don't really know. Maybe these guys do. But I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be pretty physical. I think it's going to be competitive. I think it's going to be better than what we've, that's my guess. It's going to be better than what we've seen 
in years past. It was two years ago that was like it wasn't it wasn't even a good practice, let alone a, a spring kind of game. So I think it's going to be better because they do have better numbers out there. So I think that's going to help a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, there's not like there's not many positions where you're just like they just don't have anybody there, so you can't really do it because you you only have eight offensive linemen total or something. Yeah. No, they're they're pretty much the only real position concern is cornerback, and you got four guys there now, so I think you're you're happy with that, and you got some walk-ons as well as you can put out there if you need to give guys rest. So they have the opportunity to do it. You know, I. I it sounds like maybe we'll get more of a game-like situation than we've had in the past. It's going to be on the Pac-12 network, which, yeah. you know, Hopefully that's, that's a question that was asked as well. So it is being televised. So they're not going to put out and do everything that they can possibly do. They're not going to run a bunch of trick plays that they're saving or anything like that. <laughs> uh, since the other 11 teams in the Pac-12 will watch, someone, in. it will be taped and they will take a gander at it. Um, as USC will do with every uh, other game that's uh, on their schedule that's televised this spring. So, you know, I think hopefully we'll see more game-like setting and have some actual competition periods, and that'll, that'll be exciting to see because it's been a while since that's happened just because of USC's numbers, the COVID, everything else. We haven't really seen a game from better parts of half to a full decade. Yeah, it's been a while. But I do like the way they can set up. They can put Slovis on one side, Moses on another. Each of them get a freshman quarterback. Like, there's, you have a veteran, you have a freshman um, they, you know, they have a, plenty of offensive linemen, so that was always an issue before. You can split those guys up. I mean, you can have eight or nine guys on each, you know, offensive line on each team, so they can they can work around some things. And you know, maybe you have some walk on cornerbacks in there sometimes. But I feel like they can do depth wise, they can do a lot more than what they have in the past. And that's sort of been one of the excuses of why they weren't doing it. So I don't think that excuse is there anymore. And uh, I think they want to they want to try to show something. It's going to be on the Pac-12 Network. It was two years ago, and it wasn't great, but I think it's going to be better this year. So we'll see. Cross your fingers. Hopefully it does. Andrew on YouTube says, uh, is Grim Harrell matching Todd Orlando's intensity at practice? I don't even think Orlando's that intense at practice, per se. Like, no, I, I, one thing I noticed from Todd Orlando that I noted in my, in my notes um, from Saturday, I think it was, the second group, defensive group, they line them up mm-hmm. and they kind of do a sprinter stance, you know, as they start a drive and they get them to run out there. I don't know exactly what that's about, but um, it's something they do every time just to be in unison as you kind of break down a huddle and go onto the field. And they didn't do it well enough to his liking. You know, they didn't sprint out there. That You know, they were just lollygagging out there. So he said, no, no, no. He said, sorry, coach. I'm sorry. I got to stop practice. And he just he stopped the entire practice, had them come back and redo it uh, before they come out there. And, he's, you know, he got up first, pulled him up and said, it's, basically said it's unacceptable. Um, so you, you see that from Graham Harrell, people may kind of see him as a laid back guy, but he's he's super competitor. So you listen to the players talk about it, like, you know, halftime adjustments and stuff when he's in the locker room, like he's, you know, in people's face and, and that type of thing. So I don't think that there's any concern about his intensity level either. Yeah, yeah. it's it's different. Like if you look at it from the outside, he's like the kind of Texas, you know, kind of hang back and just kind of chill dude. But, you know, he's he can be pretty intense too. I was just saying coaches have their unique personalities, yeah. and I don't think it's a one-size-fit-all thing. So I don't think that's a very good uh, way to judge them across right. the board. Just because you don't jump up on a table and scream doesn't mean, you know, Ed Orgeron works for Ed Orgeron. He does what's great for him. I think yeah. Graham Harrell has to do what's great for him. Yeah, to do what's effective. Uh, we had a question from uh, Roy, who says, USC used to be famous for their left and right player sweeps. Why has this power play been forgotten? You know, Oklahoma used to be famous for their triple option. 
Why don't they do that anymore? Well, the game has evolved for one. <laughs> Such a long pause, Chaka. The game has evolved for one. You know, the air raid offense wasn't around in the 1920s, but it is now, and a lot of teams use it. So uh, the spread offense, same thing. So that's part of it. Can they also incorporate sweeps? It's not going to look the same as, as you know, student body left, student body right. But that's something that they can incorporate if they can block well enough. So it's hard to, you know, if you can't get your offensive lineman out and block in space, and if they're not going to make a block, then there's no use in running that play because sweeps, those type of plays that run on the outside, are either positive gainers or negative gainers. They don't get stopped at the line very often. And if you're not blocking out in space, then you're going to lose yards on a lot of them. We got a question from Jeff on Facebook who says, have any recruits been at practice? No. No. Yeah, so they're still restricting access to campus. Um, they've made exceptions for us in the media, but it's still pretty strict. Even like we said before, the people that work on campus haven't been on campus. So we'll see if things start to open up a little bit. I don't know if anyone will be able to, maybe they allow some recruits to come to the spring game. Maybe they allow some families. I'm not sure about that yet, but that might be an opportunity if they can do that. Shotgun, you did see them working the phones though. We've seen that. Yeah. So, so one of the things, and maybe it's partly because it's kind of an adaptation to the COVID and whatnot is, you know, at one point last Saturday, uh, you know, Armand Hawkins Jr., who works on the recruiting staff, runs out a phone to Clay Helton. And you hear Clay Helton saying, oh, it's a beautiful Saturday. You know, look at the green grass, how beautiful it is out here. And he's on the phone do, uh, doing a FaceTime with uh, one, of the, one of the recruits they had. Don't know who the recruit was, but, you know, maybe that kid's in Minnesota and it's freezing cold. And he's like, wow, it looks great out there. <laughs> but I thought it was interesting that that's something that they're doing. Uh, you saw Armand Hawkins running around because the phone then went to Gavin Morris to talk to this player. Later, he took a, you know, a call to, uh, to Kerry Colbert, you know, during. And these are going on, like the position coaches, it's not like, they're not coaching up their position. This was during a special teams drill. They called up the uh, receiver and you know handed the phone to Kerry while he's not actively coaching one of the positions up. So, but I thought it was interesting that that's an, a, a, an adjustment that they made potentially because of COVID to give opportunities you know for those players to see what's going on at the practice to see how beautiful it is in Southern California uh, this time of year. Uh, but Chris Trevino pointed this out on the Family Free podcast. It's also an opportunity because recruits aren't on campus. To show them and go up and, you know, uh, Malik Agbo, a four-star lineman from Washington, maybe hand, take the phone and say, hey, look at what's going on. This is Watch the, this drill that the offensive linemen are doing. Because they don't get a chance to come on campus, they get to watch and see because that's the number one thing that recruits really want to see when they come to a practice is, okay, what's my position group doing? How are they coaching up certain things? Mm-hmm. We had a question from Mike on Facebook. Who said, is the defensive domination more an endorsement of their skill set or a detriment to the offensive line? I mean, it's just in general, if you're going to look at any football team and they're practicing in the first couple of weeks of a session like spring or fall, usually the defense is ahead, right? So yeah. I think mm-hmm. that's, there's less, you know, you can, you, everyone on defense can do the wrong thing and you can still make a tackle for loss. You know, like on offense, if everyone does the wrong thing, you're probably screwed. So you need to like... It, it's got to be a little more precise on the offensive side of the ball. So I wouldn't say, oh, the offensive line is terrible. It's just, I think it's a good, it, it's a good commentary on what you're going to see on the defensive side of the football. And it shows that, you know, I think the offense is still trying to, to you know, find its way and make sure it gets to the groove that it, it wants to. But I wouldn't say it's a, you know, it, it's something about the offense being terrible, the offensive line being terrible. I said this earlier in the show, but if you missed it, it's not like the defensive line is just manhandling the offensive line. A lot of times it's free runners on blitzes and, you know, they're doing things to confuse the offensive line, which I think is a positive to, to give them as many looks as possible right now. 
um, especially with some young guys being in there and trying to, to figure out what they they sh- you know what they should be doing on all these plays. And I'm not hitting the panic button yet that it looks like last year, but you know it's something to keep an eye on. It's it's not something that I'm really worried like oh the offense are so far behind. I think that I'm been more impressed by the defense than worried about the offense. How about that? Sure. Interesting. Uh, we have a couple more questions, and then we'll wrap this show up. I don't know if we can fully disclose this. You can be the judge of that, guys. But Andrew on YouTube wanted to know, what's the percentage of pass-to-run plays during the team periods of practice? It's, that's really hard to do because yeah. they don't really – like on Saturday it was you know situational. So they went yeah. third and two, then third and four, third and six, third and eight, third and 12. Well, hey, the play call is going to change you know, the longer the distance is. So, and they have team run periods. Yeah. It's not like they're just sitting down. And that's what would be interesting about a game-like scenario. Even the scrimmages are very controlled about what they're trying to get out of it. You're trying to get certain things. It's not like you're just going out and saying, all right, well, we're going to have Graham Harrell call plays for one offense. And you know what? We're going to give you know uh, Mike Jinks an opportunity. Hey, you're going to call plays for the other offense, and we're going to battle it out and see which team can win. Um, which is what you can sometimes see in a spring game. So we'll see if, if that's something we get. And then maybe you can kind of glean a little bit more about how the numbers of play calls and whatnot. Yeah. It's very situational. So it's just, you know. Mm-hmm. Coley on YouTube wanted to know, uh, I'm sure running back or wide receiver is the fastest guy on the team yet. Who's the fastest lineman, uh, offense or defensive guy on the team? I saw that question earlier. And I was I mean, like, I don't know how to answer that. Um, Don't you go with a defensive end? You got to go with a defensive line. I mean, are you going to say like Drake Jackson being a defensive line? Does he count? Yeah. Yeah. Does Hunter Eccles count? I mean, I feel like one of those guys would be in there. Yeah. Giuliano Falatnico, he plays that same position. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, anyone that that covers uh, the kickoffs, then I would put them in the conversation. (laughs) Good point. As far as as offense or defensive linemen. If you're not counting those outside linebackers who play defensive end as their true position, maybe someone like Dejon Benton. He's very athletic. Mm. I don't know what their 40 times are, but uh, he's a guy that would be up there. Casey Collier is another guy. I I love his athleticism and his potential. I don't know what their 40s are, and the 40 is not really that important for offensive and defensive linemen. The 10-yard sprint is much more important. Um, But, you know, those are a couple guys that that would be my guesses if I was, you know, throwing down some bets or something. Yeah. Good question on (laughs) Ryan. It's just a comment. I was just like, you know, give you a little props, Keely. They, thank you. They want me moved to the outside and put Keely as center and uh, start the show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We also got a lot of comments about my hair. It's the pandemic. My hair looked like this before, guys. And also the lights make it look more blonder. But this is how I looked. Y'all just forgot. That's did all you, I got. You got your hair done, right? I did. I got a haircut finally. It was yeah. needed. Very much Shotgun, needed. you got one too? Or you still got the full, like. We got a question uh, from Mark Watkins who says, before you get a haircut, Shotgun, you got to debut the fro on uh, Tunnel. Uh, we'll see. I want to see it. You got to do it. Uh, we got a question. You'd be out of control right now. Yeah, we got to see it. Uh, we've got multiple questions specifically for you, Shotgun, on multiple platforms about uh, USC and I formation. We did see them in pistol uh, on Saturday, right? Yeah, and they've shown some pistol in the past. It's not something they've used a lot. Uh, they're definitely not going I formation. They no. don't have a fullback. No fullbacks um, out there. They would, they would go with a two-back set with two running backs out there before they would do that. You have seen in, in the pistol, you'll see 
Let's say you use the tight end as an H-back. That's something they've done in the past. That's something they'll continue to do where the tight end is lined up inside of the tackle uh, rather than being outside and lined up on the line. He's in the backfield as a, as a faux half as a faux fullback. Uh, Fullback. Yeah, a fullback <laughs> uh, in that H-back spot. So they've done that. That's, you know, that's their power run game is when the, you know, they're putting the tight end back there and using him as a lead blocker to come off the edge, wrapping around a tackle or to get in between the tackle and guard and be the lead blocker ahead. Those are the type of things they do. Not They're not going to line up an I formation. That's just not the formations in the book. If you picked USC, on, you know, whenever the NCAA video game comes out, I formation is not going to be one of the available options. No. <laughs> Uh, we got a question specifically for you, Shotgun, which doesn't make sense since you don't like hypotheticals. We're going to ask it to you anyway. Uh, Herman wanted to know, what is your prediction for this team in the upcoming season? Come on, man. Be honest, is what he said. <laughs> so far away. Yeah, but we want you to predict anyway. Like, Ishmael Softer is out right now. I'd like to see what he could do. Is he a guy that can stand in there? We don't even know who the left tackle is. Yeah, we don't know who the yeah. left tackle is. If Keen Slovis gets hurt, you know, in, in fall camp, I'm going to have a much different, uh, opinion than you know if he's healthy and he's zipping balls everywhere uh, by the time the season starts if suddenly there's a run game i'm gonna have a much different opinion so with the fact that it's been two weeks of clay mcguire a new offensive line coach let's hit the pause button a little bit yeah. the, the schedule sets up for them we've talked about that in the past when it was released it sets up nicely for them no oregon no washington all the games that could be, you worry about, ah, oh, this would be very tough if it was this time of year or if they were playing this team off of this or they're playing at this. That's not the case this year. Schedule sets up very nicely for them. They need to have a really, really strong year for the, the future of the program. Uh, I'll, I'll give you one. Nine and three win the Pac-12 South. There you go, Nine Ryan. Three, that's not good enough, though. It's not. But he didn't say that. He just threw it up there. I'm true. I'm just, I'm just commenting on it, Keely. Okay, yeah. of course. That's what you do. Uh, Fitz, Fitzgerald on YouTube says, any chance Palaieg Nayoteote comes back for the season? I mean, the longer he hangs in the portal, the more you feel like it's a possibility. But we've heard nothing that's changed. Nothing is different there. Um, he's still taking classes at USC, I think the last we heard. Um, so... Status quo is now. Yeah, Clay Elton said he's still taking classes. Still set. I mean, he always keeps it open. So if he makes a last minute decision to come back, but from what I've heard, it doesn't sound like that's very yeah. likely. Mm -hmm. And one final question comes from Gary. He says, "Will there be an instant analysis podcast or broadcast immediately following the 2021 Spring Showcase event?" Someone also asked if you'll be doing a halftime show, Ryan, for the. Uh, spring Ooh, showcase. Uh, we'll definitely have instant. We always have instant after anything USC does. So yeah, I, I think the halftime show would be tough because we're going to be you in the stands. Yeah. We're not like, yeah, it's not like we're in the press. I, well, maybe we will be in the press box. I but don't, you can't film during to... practice. Yeah, we're not. It's not a game. We could film ourselves or whatever. Like we could, I could film me and talking. You know, doing. We don't even know if there's going to be a halftime. Yeah, we, yeah. So <laughs> no, unfortunately. But yeah, those are fun to do. Um, but yeah, we'll tr we'll try to do something fun for you guys. We'll but certainly, instant analysis will be. We'll have instant analysis, and then we'll have a Sunday tunnel vision afterwards. So yeah, that's true. We'll have we'll be able to react uh, a week from tonight. So mm -hmm. wow, I can't believe it's next Saturday. <laughs> it's going so fast. Um, All righty, guys. Any final thoughts before we wrap this one up? Coley said he doesn't think that that you can have a good idea about this USC team until after the game versus San Jose State. I, I think we'll have a good idea going into the season. 
Of course, we want to see that competition, but I'll actually make a prediction going into the season and have much more confidence in anything I say than making a prediction right now. Someone write that down, the timestamp, so when he tries and dodges it before the season starts, <laughs> we'll get him. I don't yeah. want to, but I <laughs> we'll will end up having to because Keely will make me on like three different shows. Mm -hmm. hey, I'm a little happy. Uh, a little. Periscope is not back, but it's Twitter live, but they're still saying like Periscope stuff in there. So if it's you really funky, but we got to talk to people. So that's what works. Yeah. If you were enjoying, like you'd see your tweets and that's how you would click and watch the show. You can still do that. It's a, the link still says Periscope on it. Um, there's like a new, new producer for Twitter live. So I'm, we're trying to figure this stuff out now. We didn't know when Periscope went away, but we still have that third platform. You'll be able to watch it on. If you enjoy watching it like on your phone or whatever from the tweets that we'd send out. So mm -hmm. yeah, thanks for doing that. There you go. Alrighty. That's going to wrap it up for this edition of tunnel vision for shotgun Spratling. I'm, I was about to do my incident analysis. <laughs> <laughs> I have so many things I outro that sometimes they just blur together. Yeah. That's Ryan. That's shotgun. I'm Keely. We'll see y'all next and week. And make sure you hit the like button. Down oh below. yeah. Hey, wait, well to do well done. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're done. We're going. Bye. See you bye next bye. time. <laughs> Should you ever set foot outside of the hotel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow, now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan.